Welcome to Money Grows on Trees. Money does grow on trees. A podcast full of practical, real-life money lessons that you wish you learned in school. Lloyd is a former lawyer turned lifestyle entrepreneur. In each episode, he'll be answering the tough questions around money, investing, and entrepreneurship to help you transform your money mindset and move you closer to achieving your financial goals. Now, let the class begin. Here's your host, Lloyd Ross. Welcome back to the show, Money Grows on Trees podcast. My name is Led Rice. This episode is, should I buy a house? <laughs> should I buy a house? So many people, uh, especially in Australia, are asking the question, should I buy a house? When's the right time to buy a house? Will you buy a house? Should I buy a house when I have kids? Should I buy a house to, to as a retirement asset? Is now a good time to buy a house? How much should I put down as a mortgage? What should I buy? Um, and I'm just doing this episode because I just got off a discovery call with, uh, with a client who's doing our five steps to millions mentorship question was asked me on there and I was talking about it. And so I was like, I need to do an episode on this because I need to set something straight for people who need to hear it. So here we go. Uh, in the United States, but also primarily in Australia, I think it's bigger. Property is everyone's go-to asset. It's just like everyone's property mad because in the last call it since the 1950s or 60s property has continually gone up and up and up and up and up okay in the last few years it's gone up drastically because rates were so low so everyone's on a hangover of property gains okay and of course the baby boomers made all their a lot of their wealth out of land value rising and property gains but they were buying houses for three times earnings and we're currently buying houses for about 10 times annual earnings so it is more expensive these days, far more expensive, probably three times more expensive to actually buy property today than it was back then, pound for pound. Facts. Not even making it, it's just a facts, right? So it is more challenging, which means you've got to get far more debt today to buy a property. Far more debt. So let's say, for example, the average property is, um, I don't know, 850000 to a million. So let's say you've got to borrow between seven hundred and dollars and $800,000 for a property, and quite often a lot more than that, say a million, Okay and you're on an $80,000 or $130,000 income, you're like, you're borrowing nine times your annual earnings. Like you're very geared. You're very leveraged up. Okay. You're like nine times leverage. It's yeah. Precarious place to be. So what happens I think to people is I, I don't, I don't know. I famously don't own a property. Okay. Now, um, as I was talking today to Paul on our discovery call, I said, you know, cause he said to me, Lloyd, you know, everyone in my family's like asking me about, yeah, why don't you buy a house and rent it out? Why don't you buy a property and rent it out? Everyone's got all these flipping good ideas, but very few of them are doing that, but they're trying to tell us what to do, right? People trying to tell you what to do all the time. Buy a property, buy a property. You've got to make your own mind up based on your own logic and your own rational thoughts and your own lifestyle choices and your own plan and your own mission, okay? So my background is actually, I was a real estate agent at 20, full real estate license, commercial sales and leasing, and... Um, then I went into do property law, became a property lawyer, did conveyancing articles, okay, for a, a property lawyer. Then I went into real estate development to work for the largest developer in the world in Abu Dhabi, okay, residential projects, master plan projects, feasibility studies, and so forth in corporate. And then I went into property marketing and sales, okay, and I was doing, you know, selling house and land and, and variety of different things, okay. So my whole background is property, my entire background, okay, not all of it. I, Obviously, I studied, you know, uh, in uh, finance, doing this the Chartered Financial Analyst Program. But my whole investment strategy has been equities, shares, okay? That's been my asset of choice. 
I think primarily because I, I, throughout my life, I did see people, I found out that I'm like, hmm, you can get in trouble with property. Interesting, because people say it's, it's, you know, it's as safe as houses. But I actually saw people buy too many properties with too much debt and go broke. I saw people go through divorces and lose their house. I saw people um, gear up too much. I saw people clinched with mortgage debt. I saw people with, with multiple properties and multiple problems from tenants. I saw people with just, it's just not smooth. It's not like you just go and get a property and it's always rented out and it's beautifully smooth and there's no costs. Property can be a pain in the ass too and it's also risky as well. There's no, no, there's not no risk in property. So I saw this happening. I'm like, maybe I don't want to buy a property because I don't want the pain in the ass factor that comes with the administration of owning property. But if I'm making that choice, I'm also foregoing the gains that come from leveraged assets. And that's where a lot of property gains come from. From an investment standpoint, they come from you borrowing a shit ton of money. Okay, I really swear on this podcast, but passionate about this subject. You borrowing a lot of money, quite often too much money, just because society tells you to go buy a house. Then you go and, and you leverage it up. Now, if the market rises, right, you can make a ton of money. But if you're living in the house, you don't realize any of the money. There's still no cash flow from it. You're just living in a more expensive house. And all the equity is tied up and you're sitting on the equity. It's not doing anything for your finances. It's not giving you any more financial flexibility, okay, unless you sell the property and buy something for a lot less in the same market, which is going to be challenging because you're going to have to drop a bedroom or two in a different location, right? Or you invest the money into a portfolio of some sort or or a rental property and you rent, okay? That's the only way to realize the gains in your property, okay? So from my background, uh, my dad even says to me, it's a miracle you've never owned a property. And I think that is too. But here's why I never did is because I didn't feel like it fit in with my lifestyle goals, and my lifestyle style goals were simplicity, ease, no minimal administration, and no debt, and just didn't want to have the 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 shadow of debt or or carry the burden of debt around with me in everything I did. You know, like the old saying, mortgage equals death pledge. It's just like I didn't want that. So I just consciously chose not to own property for that reason. And we've been renting in this place here now where we are for the last 10 years. Right, and our rent's gone up, but it's gone up a little bit in that time. I think we just—it's just such a sensible cash flow decision. The money we make, we put into shares. That's the asset of choice. It's not like I'm not investing my money, okay? But the money I'd typically pay in interest to the bank from my mortgage, I'm putting into a share portfolio, and that's building up over time. So rather than buying a money tree I can't afford and paying it off, I'm planting and growing a money tree over time from the ground up. That's the difference, okay? So here in Australia, we're really good at buying stuff we can't afford and paying it off. But I wanted to go the other way and start, well, I want to start ground level and build something up, okay? Just because it doesn't take any administration to have a share portfolio and the income is extremely tax effective, okay? Quite often, a lot of the time, it's tax-free depending on the franking credits. And it's flexible. There's no tenant worries. You don't have to administer it. There's no rates. There's no insurance. There's no debt. None of that exists. It's just, there's my money. Give me some money back in cash flow and grow in value over time. What a wonderful thing. It's great, okay? But I forego the gains of leverage returns. So if I if I had bought a property for, say, $2 million and it doubled, I, I would have made $2 million. So I lose those gains. 
But here's the thing. I don't just want to go make money, okay? Because I want my money to buy me happiness. That's why I wrote the book, Money Buys Happiness. Okay, that's why I wear my yellow hat that says money buys happiness. So I want my money to buy me happiness. So I structure my life so that it buys me happiness. Okay, but most people aren't doing that. They're getting the, they're using their money to buy themselves sadness. They're using their money to buy themselves sadness. That's what they're doing. They're like, oh, I want to go and make a ton more money because I want to get a leveraged house and live there. That's going to make you t- a lot more money for sure. But is it going to bring you misery? Because if it is, it's not worth it. Because to live a life of misery to the age of 67, then you sell your house to then go do your life. Like that's a, that, 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 why would you do that? That's a, that's a trading 40 years of happiness for like just a few years of it. So 40 years of misery, 15 years of happiness, not a good trade-off, I don't think. So I was like, how do I create a life of happiness and joy and flexibility and financial peace now with, without debt and with some cash flow? that can scale over time where we can still live a fun life for the next 40 years. How do we do that? What does that look like? I think that was a better conversation I think I was prepared to have with myself because I saw that a lot of people that had a lot of property values, they were also miserable because you can sit on, it's called being house poor. I did, a, I did a, an episode on it in this podcast. There's people that are sitting on three to $4 million of home equity and they're miserable because they've got to go to a job they don't like to just make ends meet. And if that's you, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to choose that life. You can sell your property. No one's forcing you and holding a gun to your head to go get mortgage debt. Okay, no one. You're doing that to yourself. Okay, now we had someone in our program, in our mentorship program, she was wrestling with this because she'd bought a property without any sort of thoughtfulness about the future with it, okay, because everyone else was doing it. And she came to the decision that she wanted financial peace. She was tired of living paycheck to paycheck, tired of having debt over her head, tired of worrying about the property, and she had some debts to pay off that were worrying her and keeping her up at night. And she made a one, a very decisive, bold move to get her finances in order. She sold the house, paid her debts off, free, got a different uh, strategy now going forward, and it's almost like you can see the relief, okay? Now, she's young enough where she can make some decisive, move, decisive moves and become a multimillionaire for sure, Okay? But it's like she realized no one was holding a gun to her head to say, you have to own property. You just don't. Like, you just don't. Because if you did, at the end of your life, most people want to hold property because they know it's their only retirement asset that they have, okay? It's, that's where a lot of their money is held. It's like, oh, my house is like, we're all of my-. And so I was talking about how people have a lot of their retirement fund in their house, and that's why they love it. They, it's their beloved property. They're not prepared to get rid of it but they can only experience the wealth at the end of their life. It's just crazy. Um, but it doesn't mean that I'm not a believer in property. I just, I just wonder why people are buying it, whether they're being forced into it because society says so or because they're buying perceived security just because they have kids. When I grew up, I was in rental properties as well and it didn't bother me one iota, okay? I don't you think it's crazy to go and have spend borrow $1.5 million to have a big house to have your kids in there and have the chance of going bankrupt? Do you think that's safe? Do you think that's secure? That's dumb. That is not secure. It's perceived security. It's not real. Kids don't give two hoots if you move house. They just don't care, right? It's BS. It's a justification for getting a massive mortgage because you want to go through the rite of passage of who's got the bigger house, okay? So I think that's a, that's a cop-out. 
I think it's sensible to buy a property when you've got plenty of cash for a deposit, you've got multiple incomes to cover any mortgage uh, pain that might arise from rising interest rates, you've got the cash to pay a chunk of it off anytime you want, and you're doing it sensibly for a long-term plan of either building wealth and be okay with that, and maybe it's in a property investment instead of you living in it, so when it builds wealth, you can just keep it there and keep it ticking over and get the the tenant to help you pay it off and then get a lot of tax deductions. That makes a lot of sense. And then you can get leverage gains, okay? That's fine. That's all great. But when you're buying a house for not those reasons, I think it can stifle your ability to create wealth because you're forever just mortgage-bound. Because in the news today, in the Financial Review, National Australia Bank came out, record profits, 40% of their customers, 40% of their customers are in mortgage prison. That means they can't refinance their house. They're stuck there, okay? Great for the bank, sticky customers, right? So I don't know, like, is the juice worth the squeeze to own a house to be in mortgage prison? I think it's the most craziest thing. You know, like, I've seen people buy a house in their 50s and do extremely well, triple the value of their property, plenty of cash behind it, never get in trouble, wonderful. You don't have to be in a rush. You don't have to be in a rush, particularly when you're not ready, Okay? What do I think young people ought to be spending their time on in their 20s and 30s? Do I think it's buying a property? No, I don't think that. I think it's building up cash to have flexibility, potentially building a share portfolio because it's just more effective to get into, is less risk, okay, done properly. But what I think they should be focused on is what is their wealth vehicle? If they've got a job for 60 or 70,000 a year, what is their wealth? What's their other side hustle? What's their business they're building that's going to give them another 70000 a year? That's a way better way to spend your money and, and, and invest your money is building on a second income stream. Are you building a business? Are you buying a business? That's going to be a far more effective wealth tool than just buying a house on leverage to double, which is everyone's flipping strategy, right? And so I, I, I see the greatest tool you have to build your wealth is your income. So rather than trying to lump a, a huge asset together with lots of debt and just bank on the gains of that over time, the leverage gains, why not invest in yourself? Build something that produces cash flow and income on a weekly basis to you or a monthly basis. Double your income. And then you've got a heap of financial flexibility to make more decisive acquisitions, to have more freedom and travel, to, to really live your life. I, I, it's you'll grow better as a person too than just buying a flipping bunch of bricks. I mean, the end of someone's house anyway when they retire, quite often if they pass away, which people do in their 60s and 70s, they die, right? Then all of a sudden their kids sell their house off. Gone. It's just, it just seems so, I don't know, such a mallard. Like what a flipping waste of life. So I think the lesson I want to impart to you in this episode is, uh, no, Number one, no one is forcing you to hold your property and have your mortgage. You can sell it anytime you want, okay? Never compromise your happiness for money. Make sure your, your money is buying you happiness, okay? <laughs> for goodness sake. The second lesson is, if you are gonna buy a property, make sure you can comfortably buy it in the worst case scenario. And make sure you're doing it for all the right reasons. Don't just do it just to have perceived security, okay? You should be thoughtful about that. All right, and don't do it just because everyone else is doing it, and certainly don't do it for FOMO. Okay, do it for the right time for all the right reasons, and be prepared to hold it for a long time, and make sure you can leverage the money 
get some cash flow and live your life before you die, okay? Don't just build all your equity up in your house and then just fall off the perch. That would be dreadful, okay? So I think that they're the lessons I want to impart on this episode, all right? So hope that <laughs> inspires you that you've made a great decision buying your property and you're all good. Or maybe if you haven't, I'm here to tell you that you can change that if you really want to, okay? Just go and live a good life with financial flexibility and peace and do not compromise that just to keep up with the Joneses, all right? See you in the next episode of Money Grows on Trees. Joining us this week on the Money Grows on Trees podcast. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, Money Grows on Trees, which you can find at LloydJRoss.com. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, leave a review, and feel free to reach out to Lloyd on Instagram at LloydJamesRoss. 